Hi, and welcome to Highly Social. I'm your host, Mike Eaton, and it's another wonderful day. First, of course, we thank our sponsors, Golden Cricket, the best cricket protein bars on the planet, uh, available in one awesome flavor of peanut butter, chocolate, banana. Uh, they're great. You should eat them. Also, Joker Designs, J-O-K-R Designs on Instagram. The three-piece bong, you know it, you love it. Go get you one. Code Eaton for 20% off. And today, I'm joined by the wonderful and amazing Lauren Compton. Hello. Hello, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm good. Awesome. You brought barbecue, which is the best thing a guest has ever done. (laughs) I like to come in hot, raise the standard, Yeah. so that you just have me back. A hundred percent. Also, <laughs> now I have to text all the other guests and be like, hey, <laughs> there's a new standard. <laughs> um, I come bearing gifts. You do. So, well, you've come bearing lots of gifts. Um, I have uh, known about you from online and comedy and everywhere, but then I met you for the first time at a Big Laugh show, and you were so kind and so fun and brought out such a great audience. Thank and then you. I've gotten to perform with you twice now. Yeah. And both times have been uh, like a really, really great, and like fun, unique experience. So, Thank you. Um, what what do you what do you think you're bringing to comedy in that regard? Like, um, I like to. I, I feel like. Oh my gosh! I have a tiny dog with me. She just had surgery, and so if she okay, I'm leaving now. I I think I scared her away. I was gonna bring her up here, but no one say anything. Maybe she's gone. I didn't want her to whimper and people be like, "Is she torturing a dog?" Which of her parents is an Ewok? I think she's a full Ewok. She's so little tiny. I think um, the Ewok was actually made after the Shih Tzu. Did you know that? I did not know that. Mm -hmm. I thought it was made after like acid or perhaps mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, what if we had a planet of cannibal teddy bears? (laughs) Oh man, that'd be so cute. That'd be the cutest way to die. Yeah, maybe. You know? That or like... I, I used to think of like uh, funny threats to make pe- to people. Uh-huh. Like I hope you get run over by a steamroller made of pillows. Yeah. Where it's like it's not super painful but like also bad. Yeah. But I think like maybe if you could get trampled to death by guinea pigs. Uh-huh. That might be pretty cute. I had a guinea pig growing up. Did you really? I named it Toupee. And it died. How? Because uh, they always die funny. It was old. And I scared it because <laughs> I on accident I turned on my vacuum cleaner and it literally went ah, and had a heart attack and died. They are it there's an endless number of stories on the internet of guinea pigs just dying like that. <laughs> yeah. They're bad at mine. Didn't die of a heart attack. Uh my corgi ate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went with my dad and sister and stepmom to the opera, which is just a very fancy sentence yeah that's a fun way to sound really really classical it well th- this was when um a little bit of my backstory i was uh until i was like eight i was pretty poor and then my dad like really started crushing it as a lawyer so mm-hmm. by the time i was like 12 he was very wealthy so well not like wealthy one percent wealthy but like enough that we could bet yeah. in operas and mansions and stuff so like we're all in suits going to the mansion i i fucking hate it but i'm like we're going to the opera you know and we get home from the opera, and I go upstairs, and my door's open, which it shouldn't be. And then I look in, and somehow the corgi, which is, you've seen them, they're small, fat sausages with legs. Yeah, nice butts. Jumped up and opened the door, and then had found a really awesome squeaky toy that just happened to be my guinea pig. So there was pieces of guinea pig. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. 
What was your guinea pig's name? Jenny, because I'm not a creative person. Jenny. <laughs> Jenny the guinea. Jenny the guinea. Yeah. That is creative. That's cute. Okay. <laughs> Mine was toupee, and I didn't even, I didn't name it. My dad named it, and it wasn't until many years later. Sorry. If I snap like that, it's because my dog is whimpering. She just had surgery. I'm like, stop being in pain. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be such a good hospice nurse. <laughs> Will you hurry up and die already, bitch? I got stuff to do. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, have you ever considered doing therapy? Like you being a therapist? Oh my gosh. I thought you were, I, I've, I'm like, I have had so many people tell me I need therapy, Mike. <laughs> like all I, it's all I needed. Um, I realized as soon as I was saying it, I was like, make sure you clarify because it sounds mean <laughs> as fuck if you don't. <laughs> Um, uh, that's actually back to the first question that you asked me, what do I bring to comedy? So I started comedy because I needed therapy Whoa! and I didn't want to go to therapy <laughs> because I was married or at the time mm-hmm. and my, hu- my ex-husband had cheated on me and we were in couples therapy mm-hmm. and my couples therapist literally told him that, um, he didn't have to apologize or say sorry until he really meant it. Nice. Yeah. And was he never he paying for therapy by any chance? I think at the time we were both paying for everything. Oh, All damn. of our things were combined. It generally whoever pays wins. <laughs> I was so secret rules. Of I was therapy. like, oh my god! Like that is the worst advice that you could ever tell someone that has done something wrong. Yeah. Because then he never apologized because he was never really sorry. And that like that was what that was the nail. Well, in the he was coffin. probably very sorry that he got caught. Very sorry. Very, very sorry. But that was probably the extent of it. That was it. Yeah, yeah. He was just like, damn. Yeah. Cheaters be like that. Yeah. It's wild. I, I've i always found it funny because I've been seeing therapists since I was little because I'm an insane person. And uh, of over the breath of that, when I move to a new place or I find a new therapist, there's like that breaking in point. Mm-hmm. And, and half of them are just bonkers themselves. I know. And, and so you end up with these people and you're like in a vulnerable state and you're like, hey, here's all my secrets. Here's all my fears and worries. Can you help? And then some of them are like, well, don't say sorry until you feel like you need to. And you're like, okay, should I drink less? And they're like, well, are you having fun? And you're like, okay, maybe I need your therapist. <laughs> your therapist sounds great. I've had some party therapists. I had a therapist in Dallas that fell in love with me. That was the weirdest one. Really? Like four months in, she decided to stop charging me and then started bringing gifts to every session. I don't know what to do about this dog. I don't think the audio is picking it up. Dan, can you hear Penny? Could you hear Penny through the audio? Has she been picked up? You can't? Yeah, she's good. Okay. I'm so... I never take her anywhere because... But she's a sweet little baby and she's sick from her surgery. I know. She's just in pain. So I'm so sorry. I'll, I won't stop again. Um, I just want to make sure she's not interrupting. No, no, no. You're okay. The thing. It's also distracting. You like you care about your dog. So I it's just, like if she makes sad noises. If she didn't have her neck sliced open, I wouldn't have brought her. Um, but I do care about that little thing yeah. living for like another 65 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, what were we talking about right before that? Uh, I think I your just therapist, was, your party therapist, oh, and she fell in love with you. Yeah, that one was bad. Um, I just I stopped seeing her after that. It was like this is. Did too she much. confess something to you? Did she tell you that she liked you? No, but she started sending emojis over text, and she oh. was like in her fifties, 
And so, I, like, at first I was like, she probably just doesn't understand. You know, like, the kiss with the heart emoji is, like, a romantic kind of thing. Right. And then it was, like, lots of hearts and kissy faces. And then, like, XOXO. Yikes. Yeah. Some chicks like fat guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. My uh, boyfriend is fat. Fuck off. He is. No, he isn't. You should he is see him with his shirt off. Perfect. I'd love to. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly. If you ever slip up, don't you dare think for a second I won't steal your man. Okay. <laughs> He would also be mortified if I called him fat, but he does say that himself. He is like, I'm fat. So to be fair, he calls himself fat too. That feels like a light skinned guy using the N word. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's not, he's not crazy fat, but he has a belly and I like to rub it like a little Buddha belly. It's pretty cool. I'm into it. Yeah, I do. I like a guy with some meat on his bones. Yeah. What, how was your dad built? Um, with some meat on his bones. Yeah. Yeah, that's I figured that out when I moved to L.A. is that no girls were attracted to me anymore. And it's because all of their dads were ripped because <laughs> they're oh, all California really? dads. They ride bikes until they're 60. And so they have no fat on their body. And they're like, I'm California. And so all of the girls look for that. And I'm like, I like food. Yeah, it. it's so good. I do, too. And then the, the fatter a guy is, the skinnier I feel. <laughs> so Contrast, baby. I like that feeling too. You yeah. know, I can eat a little bit more when I'm with the bigger guy. Yeah, and it's also uh, like I don't know. I, I all of the girls that I've I've dated have always been like, it's nice to feel so small. Yeah, and it's like yeah, yeah. I'm sure that is. My ex husband was my height, my weight. Whoa! And I always had to like kind of watch it. Yeah, because I was like, oh no, I don't want to ever be like bigger. I, you, than you said you. he cheated. I didn't realize it was with men. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> His hair was also longer than mine. Whoa. I know he had a man bun. I've changed oh. a lot. I've changed a lot. God damn! <laughs> it was yeah. He's yeah. Hey, we all make mistakes. We do. <laughs> I'm also divorced. I get it. <laughs> really? Yeah. How long were you married? A uh, year and a half. Okay, I was married for five. You got me. But how quickly after you met did you get married? Two years later. 64 days. <laughs> Where did you meet this stripper girl? A, a wedding. Uh, we met at my friend's wedding during the pandemic. Uh, so like 2020 happens. The world is ending. Everything's over. You see people getting married. I'm at a wedding in a beautiful city in Colorado on like a ranch eating copious amounts of mushrooms. Right. And then it was like, oh, I'm in love. I see. You know. Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> I met my ex-husband in Vegas. He was Italian. We had a long distance relationship. Okay. So I I lived in Italy for a year. He moved to America for Ooh, a little Italian, bit. Oh, Italian, Italian. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. And so I became fluent in Italian because I was with him. Whoa. And then uh, we got married and we stayed together for five years. Yeah. And I really loved him, but it helped him get a green card as well. Nice. So whenever we got divorced, he... I was a permanent citizen and now he's like an American. Whoa. Yeah. You're part of the immigration problem. <laughs> I was like, you bastard. but at least I'm not like open the borders 100% for yeah. all illegal immigrants. Yeah. Just, just uh, the one Italians with man. Just buns. Italians with man buns. Now, my height, my weight. <laughs> I've seen a bunch of stuff uh, of you in Italy eating just the most beautiful food on the planet. Uh, it, you don't generally meet people that are uh, like super fit that are into food like you. 
Well, it's weird when you make your own food. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I if I eat pasta and stuff, I'm usually making the pasta myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm very into like uh, knowing where things come from and having whole foods and uh, not trying to eat too many processed foods. Okay. So I make everything myself. That makes a big difference. I think so. Yeah. Everything. A lot of the the high end calorie foods that I eat are usually handmade. Yeah, there's also like um, something to be said. For, like, me and uh, a few of my fat friends have talked about this. Like, there's different kinds of fat that you can get, and if you're eating like really high quality calories, the fat never sits the same way. Mm-hmm. Like, y- y- there's like a McDonald's body, and then there's like a pre-fee body, right? And it's like if you just had like a lot of grass-fed butter, that's gonna come out compositionally a lot different. Yeah, I mean, I assume that. So, how did you get into making food? Like, you posted the other day, are you making pasta? You're like, I fucking love making pasta. Yeah. How'd you get into that? I lived in Italy. Yeah. And so uh, whenever I was married, I lived with the family. And his mom would make uh, homemade pasta every single day. And then we would go over to his grandparents' house, and then they would make other kinds of things, like tea jelly and yoko frito and all this other stuff. So for a year... Wow. I learned how to cook and mm. I learned how to make risotto and like seafood risotto and like tons and tons of stuff. And then while I was there, I became really passionate about it and I wrote down all my recipes that oh. I was learning. So I came back also with like an arsenal of information. Yeah. And so um, there was a there was a time where I really wanted to go to like a uh, Le Cordon Bleu kind of cooking school and learn how to do it more. Yeah. But then I realized like, I don't really want to ever work in a restaurant per yeah. se, but I love throwing dinner parties and teaching yeah. other people how to make things. So like I'll make pasta balls and mm. then have a dinner party and we'll make all the pasta fresh. So like people can have an experience and sauces and stuff. I don't know. I just think it's really, it's really, really fun. I love Italian music. I like mm-hmm. drinking wine. So I will drink wine, make oh, pasta, yeah. eat food. It's like, that's, I mean, there's not many things in life better than that. It's really fun. Yeah. And so I just do it also as a way of therapy because it's okay. very relaxing. You also get to enjoy it at the end. You can share it with people. Have you ever um, thought about making like a cookbook? I don't know. I mean, I could. You could very easily make uh, just like uh, 12 recipes and then like four fun icebreaker games. Mm-hmm. And just like, here's a step-by-step guide to having a party like you're hanging out with you. Oh, fun. That's a right? great idea. I love stuff like there's. I've seen there's a few people out there that have made little shorter cookbooks or yeah. you know, like YouTube series where it's like them. You get to know them because I felt the same way. I wanted to go to cooking school. It was like I f- I'm obsessed with food. Chefs do magic. The idea of being able to uh, have access to where they source all their ingredients from and all of mm-hmm. that is just fascinating to me. But then I also realized like everyone I've ever met that worked in the service industry for more than five years was essentially just walking around with a gun in their mouth because they were so miserable. Oh, no. Like, you meet lifelong servers. You meet people that have been back of house or front of house for 10 years. And it's such a stressful fucking job. Yeah. And people have never been more ungrateful. So you've got just like awful people coming into your restaurants. Like, I don't want to ruin food. Yeah. A profession. But like the fun side of it, a house party, a little potluck. We all yeah. make different dishes. That's fun. It's the best. I, whenever weed was becoming legal in California, mm-hmm. I started cooking with cannabis. Ooh. And so I learned how, so you bake 
weed. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Deoxycarbolization. Yeah. And then you get... Which, by the way, I've never hotboxed an apartment like that before. <laughs> I was so stoned out of my mind. I was like, whoa. It was like just... It was like five Snoop Dogs in my apartment all at once. Yeah. And then um, you put that in like a strainer, like a cheesecloth with butter, and mm-hmm. you just squeeze it and you get all the extract. And so I made... THC butter. Yeah. And then I cooked with the butter and I made all kinds of cookies oh, and stuff. Fuck. And I was on to something there. So I got um, like some packaging stuff and I started kind of packaging it and I would sell them to my friends and all my friends were getting high as fuck off my cookies. And one day I ate a little too much of one and had the world's worst panic attack. Yeah. And I was like, um, I can't do this anymore. And I didn't have my milligrams calculated correctly or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped. That was like the last day that I ever did it. But it was really fun I, I to cook with cannabis and make yeah. different like peanut butter cookies. and. Oh, that's amazing. It was cool. It was fun. And I, th- I thought about making a little bit of a cookbook with that. Yeah, but absolutely. But then I... I had a crazy panic attack and I was like, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. It's wild that that's so easy to happen. I always tell people if you're doing like a high dose of mushrooms or acid or you're taking like 250 plus milligrams of THC, yeah, have just like half a Xanax. For sure. It's just the perfect parachute. Yeah. If you start to spark, because that's all a bad trip is, is a panic attack. Yeah. While you're incapacitated. Mm-hmm. And normally a grounding technique or something to pull you out of it would fix it. Totally. But when you're in drug land, it's like, ah, I'm crazy forever. Oh, yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. I had like a physical reaction where like my hands curled like under. And Whoa. I like, I couldn't, it was like a body anxiety thing. Whoa. And I, my arms went numb and I couldn't feel my hands. Holy shit. Yeah, it was like a very different experience yeah that's not good at all no and so it wasn't even just like a mental thing mm-hmm. it was this physical thing and my muscles were all tight oh it was it was one of the worst panic attacks i think i've ever had yeah so oh. i mean it like literally stopped me from a mission <laughs> so uh that's okay um. but that was like i don't know i think i just i obviously consumed way too much mm-hmm. it's easy to do yeah it also tastes incredible I know like so weed just, butter as like a just a flavor itself is already really good. Yeah, mix it that, with a sugary oh. peanut buttery cookie. I had a, a friend. Uh, I used to live with a few strippers in a city called Denton, and it's like a very artsy like, college town. Yeah, uh, and it's fun. But there was a guy there that I knew. It was the first person I ever met that was like a real bona fide alcoholic, like shaking hands if they didn't have a drink. Mm-hmm. And the way he made money was he did weed catering. So he would show up and you would be like, hey, I want, you know, like these things. And then he would cook all of the dishes, but with his own weed butter. So he'd have mac and cheese and cakes oh, cool. and pastas. He did a chicken parm. But like it was the coolest thing because you're like, oh, I'm eating all of this weed food. And then like an hour later, you're like, yeah. I love it. That's cool. Yeah. You have to really measure that out, but that's awesome that he knew how to do that. I really like looking back on it. I think it was more like he was using such a low dose. Yeah. That even if you ate like a tremendous amount, like I remember the cake specifically, I bought a birthday cake for a friend. Mm-hmm. So it's a big fucking cake, and I ate like a pretty hefty slice and was just fine, but you could taste it. So it was like probably only like 20, 30 milligrams in there. Right. 
It's it's crazy how like one bad trip can really set you off though. Because mm-hmm. after that, like I mean, because I was getting into it and I wanted to try some of the foods and like I, I was aware, like because mm-hmm. I was really kind of getting into it and I knew that there was people cooking meals and there was a food truck in LA where you could go and you could yeah. get like some uh, stuff like pastas and mm-hmm. stuff. But I was so scared because I was like, I th- I think about myself eating a tiny bit of a cookie. And I'm like, a whole plate of pasta? Yeah. Like, how do I know what's going to happen to me? Well, your brain has that reaction in there, too. It's like when you eat something and get food poisoning from it. Right. Even if you loved that before, now your body is like, danger, danger, danger. Right. Like, there's some kind of little monkey or lizard brain still in there that's like, those are poison berries. Don't eat them. Right. You're like, but they're so good. <laughs> are you from Austin? I'm from North Texas. Okay. So Dallas-Fort Worth area. Me too. Really? Yeah. What part? Mesquite. No way. Yeah. Mesquite Skeeters. Yeah. That's wild. But I was homeschooled. What? <laughs> I was homeschooled. But you're normal. I now. Okay. After all the okay, things yeah. I've done in my life. Is this why people tell you to go to therapy? <laughs> Probably. They're like, oh no, you have issues. And I do. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was homeschooled until I was 16. Okay. So I was an international elite gymnast. And so I would train from nine years old to 16 from 6 a.m. to noon with uh, six highly, only six girls were in the gym and we were all highly competitive. We were like the best in the nation. That's we so had Russian sick. coaches and it was a very, very serious gym. We were training for the Olympics and for full scholarships and all this stuff. It was like a program. Yeah, yeah, You had to audition to be on the team. Like I said, there was only six of us. And so from six to noon, I would train. And then from 12 to one, I would eat lunch. And then upstairs, it was this big red barn called Mesquite Institute of Gymnastics. And in the upstairs was a uh, school where we had an English PhD. She was a college professor. She would teach us from one to five. And then our parents Whoa. would pick us up, and then we'd go home. I'd watch TV, eat dinner, do my homework, do it all again for... 11-hour days. Yeah. Fucking Christ. And then I had a bad fall, and I blew my knee out. And I tore my ACL, MCL, Thank God, though, PCL, right? all this stuff. I don't know. I mean, I'm a different person now than I would have been. Yeah. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to be a chiropractor. I wanted okay. to have a little white dog named Bones. Okay. Um... But I couldn't Don't af- listen to her penny. I know. <laughs> but I couldn't afford school. Yeah. Uh, after I had to drop out of gymnastics, um, I was 16, so I never got my scholarship. I just spent all my parents' money yeah. in training. I went to Dallas Christian High School for a year. Okay. Um, I didn't like it. I wanted to go to a public school. I was like, let me have the experience. And then I did. Mm-hmm. And then I hated that even more. Oh, yeah. So then I went to an alternative school so that I could graduate early. Okay. Um, That was even gnarlier, but at least it was only like, I think six weeks or something. Now, my experience with alternative schools are they're usually criminals. Yeah. Like pregnant teens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys that have stabbed people. I got sent to alternative school because I was selling weed as a freshman. Oh. And then I went to alternative school for like part of my sophomore year. And then was like, nah. Yeah. And came back. I also had to go to alternative school because um, I stole from the mall. I skipped school. Nice. And I went to the mall and I went to Claire's and I stole a pair of earrings. What is with girls stealing from Claire's? I, you know, it's easy. 
Apparently not. Uh, true. Little Miss got caught. That's true. Little Miss, you all got fucking caught. All three of us. And I didn't need money. Yeah. But it's never people it was, that needed money. It was just that I was bored and I was like angry and I was in my rebellious stage and I was like, I don't get to do anything fun with myself anymore. So I went and I stole I'm some earrings. Jewelry. Oh, and I'm then, taking $15 earrings. So stupid. And then my mom had to come get me from the school or from the mall. And then my dad got pissed off at me and he was just like, you're around bad influences. And then that's when they put me in alternative school. Got you. Around even more bad influences. Which it's insane they do that, right? Yeah. They're like, hey, you did some bad. Learn how much worse you could be. Yeah. And so I was there for a very short amount of time, graduated, got a job, did some work, moved to L.A. Wow. See, like, I, I don't know. I mean... First, I want to talk about the Claire's thing. So, I the town I grew up in is called South Lake, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty wealthy area. So, the parking lot was, you know, BMWs, Mercedes for the most part. Yeah, nice cars. And it was always funny to see like the teachers' lot is twenty year old Civics, and then there's you know hundred thousand dollars sedans in the student lot. Yeah, and like oh, the world is fucked, you know. Yeah. But I did a thing called Teen Court. Um, I wanted to be a lawyer. Growing up, that was like my thing. I'm going to do law and go into politics. Yeah. And so I would do teen court. And the way that it worked is if you got a class C misdemeanor, so minor in possession of tobacco, minor in consumption of alcohol, theft under $50, speeding 41 plus, any of those, <clears throat> and you were under 18, you could have a deferred adjudication process where you would go to court and the jury would be made up of other kids that had gotten those tickets and your attorney would be another kid that was volunteering. And then the prosecutor would be someone else that was volunteering. So it was like a mock trial. And then they would have the two attorneys argue over how much community service time you should have to do. And there was a range. And then the jury would decide. And it was just like a little weekly thing that they did. Mm-hmm. It was fucking awesome. It was a really cool way to learn the legal system and to get to practice speaking. speaking. But I probably represented 50 girls that were between 14 and 17 who had stolen from Claire's. No. Every single girl that came in that was theft under 50 was from Claire's. There was a Claire's in South Lake Town Square and all of the girls would get their little bee in their bonnet and they'd be like, I want to be rebellious. They have their dad's Amex in their pocket and they're like, I'm taking earrings. Wow. Isn't that great? And you think like, that's probably a pretty unique thing and then you get out in the world and you're like, Every girl stole from Every Claire's. Do you think that you wanted to get into the legal system because of your dad? Yeah, oh, 100%. I, uh, I would have been the fifth generation of lawyer in my family. Yeah. So my dad's 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 dad was the lieutenant governor of Texas. Wow. And was a lawyer and made the blue bonnet the state flower. I know, right? So it like we have this whole like lineage of our family being like important people, and like my grandpa was a super famous Dallas attorney, and then I grew up going to court with my dad and watching him try cases, and then I was like, yeah, I should be an attorney. I'll be the fifth one, and then I went to a year of college, and was like, I hate all of these people. None of this feels like anything I want to do. Yeah, it was just like. I was told this was my dream. I adopted it. And then when I got to the part where you have to do the work for the dream, I was like, ew. Yeah. Like, ew. You know, like all politics is just lying to people to get them to like you. 
Wow. And that's all it is. At Truer every level. words have never been spoken. It, it, I just, I hated the inauthenticity of it. And the fact that like, uh, I've always been like a very jokey, like silly guy. Right. And joking about stuff. And I would joke about things and then those people would be like serious about those things. Right. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be around y'all. Yeah. At you're all. like, this isn't my vibe. Yeah. So. I've been watching the news for the first time really lately. Okay. And uh, I- I'm I'm sort of torn because I really enjoy all the things that I'm learning about because I'm getting an education, right? Like I'm getting information, I'm learning, I'm knowing about what's going on in the world. But then I'm also a little bit on the like ignorance was bliss side. Mm -hmm. Like now I've learned that like four African Americans have been uh, kidnapped on the border. Like between two of them are dead. Two of them got murdered. One of them is in critical condition. One of them is alive. And I'm because they were in a pharmacy while the cartel was having like, so anyway, I learned about this Yeah, and I'm like, okay, that's terrifying. And then I've been listening all about the January 6th stuff. And, um, I've just been sitting there just like watching Tucker Carlson. Yeah. <laughs> he's so fun to watch. Uh, <laughs> he is. Oh, man. I love that. Do you like Tucker Carlson? I don't. No? I don't. Why? Uh, so I, uh, I hate the mainstream media in general. Yeah. So that, that is my thing. I have a like strict no news policy in terms of uh, like visual media. So what do you, how do you get your news? Reddit. Oh. I filter Reddit and then I filter through the all filter. So it's literally every post across the world that's getting upvoted from any subreddit goes to the top of the page. I spend entirely too much time on there. But I think the reason that I like that better is that when there is a clear cut case of bias, there will be someone in the comments pointing out what it is where it's coming from, adding additional Because there are all those threads. You can like really go deep into it. If I'm watching Tucker, I, this is the same problem I have with movies. I've never seen a, like There's like 10 movies that I don't like ever. Because like if I sit down and I watch it, I'm like... I don't think I'm absorbed by whatever's being spewed at me. So if I'm watching the news and someone like Tucker or fucking uh, Anderson Cooper, one of the either side of it, I am so engrossed in what they're talking about that I miss all of the propaganda and bullshit. Yeah. And I immediately accept everything that they're saying as 100% true and infallible. And then you get outside of that and you're like, oh, they have an agenda. Right. They have a very specific agenda. That is true. And I have, I also watch uh, CNN. Okay. After. Mm -hmm. Because I don't, I don't just want one side. Mm -hmm. I want to hear both sides so that at least I can be kind of moderate Mm -hmm. and make my own choice. Like, even though I'm being, you know, fed the the two completely different sides of the story. It is interesting, though, to hear both sides. It is. Because then I'm like, hmm, well, this is what's going on on the right and this is what's going on on the left. But the thing that I have learned the most about watching the news is that I look like a Fox News reporter. (laughs) That's why I laughed so hard when you said you like Tucker. I was like, like, I (laughs) am the epitome of what one of them looks like you could you could take over fox news pretty quickly man yeah i'm like dang i really got into the wrong profession here you you uh, never mind but (laughs) 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 uh 
Are you familiar with horseshoe theory by any chance? Uh Uh-uh. So there's uh, this idea that uh, in the political spectrum, uh, people on either side of the aisle, the further they get away from the middle, the more alike they actually become. And Mm -hmm. it's like a horseshoe. So if you're like a moderate, you know, there's more distance. But as you get more extreme, you become closer in mindset in a lot of ways. And I always find that interesting when you watch... CNN and then Fox back to back, or you just watch clips from these people, right? Which which I will see on Reddit. Like I, they'll pop up and I'll watch those and then read the comments and discussion, uh, or even Twitter. But you can see that like the people that super fucking hate Donald Trump and think he's insane and say all the worst things and are like you shouldn't talk like that, you shouldn't make fun of retarded people and all of that. And then the people that are like, I fucking love Donald Trump. He's a businessman and all of that stuff. Both of them have been equally swindled into their beliefs and none of, none of their like the uh, truth is less important to either of them than the narrative that they're following. It's like, Whoa. And that, I mean, that's, that's why I don't watch it is because that's where the money is, mm-hmm. is in division. If I can make you guys hate each other, more people watched Howard Stern because they hated him than because they liked him. Yeah. So it's like hate sells. Isn't that nuts? We tried. We had Al Jazeera, which was like a Middle Eastern news network that focused on just reporting stories and not editorializing or adding any of their own opinions. And they lasted like, I think like three years in America because people were like, well, this is fucking boring. I don't just want to know the facts about the news. I need someone to tell me how to feel. Yeah. Sex sells too. You're you're not lying. It is... uh, how do you feel? This is an interesting question because you're obviously like a super attractive lady and you're in comedy. How do you feel that that impact? <laughs> oh my gosh. Is she okay? Is she attacking someone? She doesn't have any teeth. Hey, you need to stop. What's going that on? was awesome. Oh, I'm so sorry. This five pound animal. Penny, come here. This is amazing. Come here. She's doing her best Westminster impression, jumping over all the wires in here. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) Okay. Little terrorist. We've done it. We've done it. You let them know that you're here, Frankenstein. Stop it. No. 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 Uh... I'm so sorry. No, she's fine. Penny. Sorry. No, it's very funny. Uh, It would be great if dogs could speak English. I I wish that we could just communicate with them and they would get it. Penny, come here. Mike, I think we should just keep this all in, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously. I think it's uh, the best. She's just hungry. I mean, that's all it is. Yeah, I can relate. Who hasn't wanted a treat from time to time and just throw a fit about it? Man, I'm so sorry. On Mondays and Tuesdays, my favorite ice cream place is closed. And it's like the Chick-fil-A effect where it's like, oh, Chick-fil-A sounds great. It's Sunday. It's like, oh, oh fucking of course. Cream, Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> it's always closed the day that you want it the most. Yeah. But so this is something I, I, uh, I am always interested to hear women's perspectives on this because I know for me, when I get on stage and I do stand up, uh, no one is laughing because they want to sleep with me. Like, there's nobody in the audience that's like, ha, 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 fuck me, fat guy. Like, <laughs> that's not the reaction. Like, there's uh, part of being a fat guy is that it's disarming. 
Like my buddy Eli, when he gets up on stage, he has a difficult time because when he says crazy stuff, there are a lot of guys that are subconsciously intimidated because he's 6'4 and ripped. And then there's other guys that are like, I don't want to laugh at him. And there's like posturing going on. And then also uh, from that perspective, like he has to work harder for a laugh. I go up there as big fat silly boy. And I'm like, ha ha, grown up Teletubby. Right. And everybody loves it. Do you find that that's for you? Can you tell the difference between laughs for the sake of trying to relate to you and laughs for the sake of comedy? Um, I know going in how I look. Mm-hmm. Very aware of it, um, and I've I've made my comedy very self deprecating. Mm-hmm. So everything that I have to say, the butt of the joke, I make about myself, mm-hmm. and so I usually call out the way that I look. I talk a lot about um, some of the hardships that I have for being an attractive person. So I try to like let people know that being attractive doesn't make anything any easier. Oh yeah. <laughs> you I, know, hot people always say that you fucking retards. I mean, <laughs> it, it makes things easier in certain aspects. Yeah. I'm sure you and Dan are really just struggling Damn out there. It. No one's ever nice to you in customer service interaction. You know, I've never gotten out of a ticket. You really? don't know our struggle, Mike. Yeah, I'm so You don't sorry. know my struggle. You've never gotten out of a ticket? I've never gotten out of a ticket. Fucking prude. I know. <laughs> no, but really? And one time I was even in my Hooters uniform. I was working at Hooters. Crazy. I was doing it, and I got pulled over, and the cop gave me a ticket. And uh, never, I've never gotten out of a speeding ticket, um, or a ticket of any kind. Wow. Uh, I don't know. I also, like... I automatically get like coined as like a bimbo with um, like big tits, blonde hair. I'm an idiot, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, do, you nothing... that, do you think that helps though? Because then you can kind of fucking yeah, a little bit actually. So then right. when I come in with like some really good content and material, I think people are a little shocked, mm-hmm. and I do find that people laugh a little harder when I make a really good joke. Yeah, well, they're surprised. Yeah, there's like... that element. She has a third brain? You know, it's like, like, holy <laughs> shit. This girl thinks about things. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually, this is interesting. The other day I was asking my mom, I was like, mom, I want to be a brunette. Like, I kind of want to like try that life for a minute. Yeah. And she was like, well. I want to feel what it's like to be with the people. Right. <laughs> I'm like, what if I just look normal? I'm going to go slumming it. I'll be a brunette. And she was like, well, then she's like, you've built, you've built yourself up to be this like certain kind of image like then you're gonna like go and change it and she was like i think you catch people off guard and she said kind of the same thing she's like when you do your comedy and stuff like you might uh you might surprise people by mm-hmm. looking the way that you do so it's, it's also like interesting that i choose to keep this to also surprise people yeah because i as someone that's bleached their hair a few times um you have like nice color which means it's expensive <laughs> 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 Thank you. See how it's all the same color all over? Yeah. Yeah, mine looked like a highlighter threw up. So it's like, you Was know. it kind of like orange? Uh, it was till I toned it. Um, oh, you learned about toner. That was that was the most surprising part of when I started bleaching my hair. I did it uh, just in LA and I felt like- See, that's right, where you're fucking up, Mike. I don't do it myself. I Well, okay. Well, I- Poor comic, okay? Can't just be like, excuse me, bitch, I want the balayage, you know? <laughs> I don't have a balayage budget, oh all right? I have a Sally's Beauty Supply budget. Dang. But the first time I did it, I bleached it. I waited 
you know, an hour with like some 20 developer and then it came out pretty orange. So then I waited a day and then I bleached it again and then it came out really, really yellow. And then a bunch of women started reaching out to me on Instagram like, oh, baby, you got to get purple shampoo. You got to get toner. Use the T18 from Wella or whatever. Yeah. And like all these women with gorgeous hair, like reaching out and giving me beauty secrets. Wow. And I was like, do they think I'm gay? Why are they being so nice to me? No, because you're, you're nice. You're a nice guy. Yeah. But it, it was such a bizarre thing um, to get into that world of like hair color. And then yeah. you realize like how far up it goes. Right. Like you can get. Pretty so like that's what I mean is like you're making a very intentional choice. Yeah, you have like a stylist that you're probably like on a first name basis with and BFF and they do your colors right. So like you continually choose to be blonde. For the element of surprise, do you feel like if you lost weight, you'd be less funny and likable? Um, I don't know. Uh, I I like to say that a lot of my jokes don't hinge on the fact that I'm fat, mm-hmm. but I think that there's a lot of my stage presence that does. And I think that there's, um, we, and I've talked about this before, there's a lot of cues that people get through society and programming that fat is happy and funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word jolly has right. never been used about a skinny person. You know, like, there's, <laughs> like you have to be in a certain weight class to be jolly. Jolly. And, you know, even from like a young age, Santa, like the fat man giving you gifts and bringing joy around the holidays. Uh, like there's a lot of of programming that you have. So when you see a fat smiling person, you think like, oh, I'll also smile and be happy. So I don't have the bigger hurdle there. But I also think like um, there are so many people that look like every different thing that are great at comedy. Mm-hmm. I like to think that I would find a way to be funny. Yeah, of course you would. I just uh, I just didn't know if you felt like that was that was in the back of your mind. I wish I could say that is why I'm fat. Is that I was just like terrified that I wouldn't be funny anymore, but it's really I just like really love food. Yeah. And like exercise is fine. It's not that fun. It's not fun. I loved sports because there was like a like I loved playing football and all that. That was great. And that was a great way to stay in shape. But then after college it was like, well, I'm just going to go to the gym. Yeah. Boring. I've been I've been trying to spice things up by walking to the gym. Okay. So I don't get there and do cardio. Mm-hmm. I think cardio is really boring. Just sitting there like doing nothing mm-hmm. while you do something. And so I walk. I've been walking, and it's two miles to my gym. And then okay. I'll do like a thirty minute workout, and then I'll walk back. And I usually go with my best friend, so I have a partner. That helps. And so someone to like kind of walk and talk to, and mm-hmm. then I get my little workout in, and then we walk and talk on the way back. So that's been a good way for me to kind of spice things up too. Yeah, I like that. I've I, every now and then I'll get on a like a health kick and go gym with friends and stuff, and that's always nice. Yeah, it's uh, there was a a really cool study done where they took people and they put them out on a hill and there's like a big hill in front of them and they had them estimate the like steepness of it and how difficult it would be to walk up that hill. And the first group, they had the people estimate while they were alone. And they're like, you're just going to walk up this hill by yourself. How steep do you think it is on a scale of one to 10? How difficult do you think it's going to be? And then they took the second group of people and they had them go in groups and they pulled the group individual answers. So no one knew what other people were answering, but they just asked the group, how difficult you think this is going to be for you guys? And everybody in a group consistently rated it 20% lower in difficulty. So really? when you're in a group, you're like, I think we can get through this. Because it's teamwork. Yeah. That's interesting. That's really interesting, too. I get that. I mean, I, I go through phases, too, of working out with someone. Because sometimes I feel like 
even though it's easier to work out because you have someone, sometimes if you're really motivated and you go by yourself, you can really focus. Yeah. And you don't have someone there kind of distracting you. But I, but for the most part, I do agree. I think going with someone is really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been, because of my gymnastics background, I have always kind of enjoyed breaking a sweat mm-hmm. just because it, it just has been ingrained in me yeah. since I was like little. That's what, so gymnastics is one of the ones I always find interesting uh, because y'all get like just slave driven yeah. in terms of practice and like, at, like what you're talking about, those elite levels where you're like Olympic training. I mean, they, they ignore that you're children and they're just like, no, you're going to fucking train. I mean, 11 hour days. That's wild. You have to though. You absolutely have to have like the structure and the, um, uh, like obedience kind of thing because mm-hmm. the level of skills that we were doing mm-hmm. were dangerous and you can really, really hurt yourself. I have blown my left knee out three times in gymnastics. Holy it took shit. me three times to finally be pulled out. Yeah. And uh, I, one of my teammates fell and broke her neck. Like I've seen some really gnarly stuff. I mean, you're doing stuff on a four inch balance beam, four feet in the air, flipping turning no hands you know i mean it's 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 crazy and one one fall can be life-threatening yeah and when you're young you don't you're not afraid of anything you're not thinking about that you're Mm -hmm. just like oh whatever and also when you're really good at something you tend to enjoy it more yeah and so all six of us were different ages and we were all the best in our group like in our age group when we would compete Mm -hmm. so i was also a champion and I was really good and I had confidence and I was like, I liked going into a gym. I remember I walked into a gym one time and uh, a couple girls left. They didn't even want to compete against me. And nice. I mean, there's, there's, there was an ego growing inside of me at a young age where I was just, I knew that I was a master at this sport and I had talent and I was like going somewhere and all this stuff. Um, so when you're really good at something too, you, you want to be, you want mm-hmm. to strive to be better. Do you think that that mindset helped you in comedy? No, because I don't think I'm all that great in comedy. Well, how long have you been doing it? Um, Because that's the other thing is you do a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, like, you're not on stage constantly, right? You How many, like, two, three times a week, maybe? Uh, I've been doing it for six years. Okay. Like legitimately yeah, doing yeah. it. Um, I don't even go up that often. Um, I, you know, I host a show at Vulcan mm-hmm. once a month, and then I probably get invited to do four shows a month. I did Jimmy Kimmel's Comedy Club in Vegas last Thursday, mm-hmm. and then I did um, a resort the week before that. The Horseshoe Bay Resort. Nice. I, I would say like four to five times a month mm-hmm. I do stand up. Yeah. Um, I think that my comedy, like the set that I have is really good, but I've been working on it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So I think that what I have is really good, but my ability to like push myself and expand and talk about new things always scares me. Mm-hmm. I love doing it because I like finding new jokes and stuff, but I wish that I had a little bit more like talent 
in comedy. Like I have to work really hard and sit down and think and write and work with a comedy writer that I really enjoy working with to mm-hmm. sharpen jokes and all this stuff. I can't just get up there and like rip it. Sure. Like I, you know. But also, so if you say like, all right, four or five times a month over the course of six years, that's like 300 times on stage, mm-hmm. right? Uh, just for contrast, uh, in 2022, I went up uh, 304 times. I Whoa. Think. So like, it just in terms of what six years means, you've had a lot of different experiences. And it's also like uh, on those bigger stages when you're at a Jimmy Kimmel, when you're at a resort and you're there and you're like a guest or you're hosting your show at Vulcan, there's a lot more pressure to kill. So you don't have the freedom to just like take a risk and fuck up and riff off top. Because like I I don't riff off top very often, but I will on a show that doesn't matter as much. Totally. If it's a bar show and there's five people there, daddy's going to have some fun. You know? <laughs> But but if I'm at sucks. at the secret show and I'm going up in front of 340 people, like I'm gonna do some fucking bangers, mm-hmm. right? Because that's that's where I gotta audition for crowds. That's where I gotta prove the metal. So I think like that's why a lot of comedians say it takes 10 years to get great. Yeah, is because it, in those 10 years, no matter how frequently or infrequently you're doing it, if you are serious about it. By that time, you'll have gotten enough reps that you've started to build that groove. Yeah. Like when you watch Dave Chappelle or Louis C.K., they've been doing it so long that the same way you or I might come up with a premise and think like, oh, this would be funny to talk about. Right. They think in fleshed out bits. Their brain is so used to cutting the fat and saying, this is where the setup goes. This is where the you know premise comes out. And this is the punchline. This is how I'll pull in a callback. Their instincts, I mean, it's that, the curve that you follow where you're uh, unconsciously incompetent and then you're consciously incompetent and then you're consciously competent and then you're unconsciously incompetent. Where like at the last stage, you no longer have to focus and think about what you're doing in comedy because you've already greased that groove so much that you're just actively in it. Right. So I think like you might not be where you want to be, but I wouldn't say it's a talent issue. Because, like, you, you wouldn't have been able to make the jokes that you made if you didn't have talent. Thank right? you. So, like, I mean, it's just a matter of, of more doing. Right? <clears throat> I think I'm hard on myself, too. I think that I get from gymnastics mm-hmm. where I'm just like, oh, if I really practiced at this, I could be a lot better. Um, I just do so many things that it is really hard for me to focus on one thing. And and that's like something I've always been like a big advocate for is I'm like, if you have one thing and you like really go hard at it, you're bound to be great at it mm-hmm. because you have so much focus and drive and determination for it and you're working so hard. It has to go somewhere. Um but I enjoy doing so many things. I really like making sketches and I don't mm-hmm. make enough of them because I'm of all the things that I do. So I'm lucky when I get to do one and uh, stand up like I don't pursue that hard enough. So I feel like all these different things that I do, I'm just good at instead of uh, great at like one thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe the sketches. I think I've mastered sketches. Yeah. So I would say I'm. Pretty. Yeah, you've hit a few millions. I think you're you're doing all right. There. I would say that I'm I'm great at sketches um, yeah. because I know how to shoot 
and I love writing those and I like have a vision. I think I would be a great director mm-hmm. because I have a great vision and I'm very good at executing and editing mm-hmm. like all of this stuff. Like I'm very much tech, like a, and your comedic timing on the editing is great. Yeah. That I have like a, a, a thing where I can like really see it and feel it. And I spend a lot of time shooting, writing and editing, mm-hmm. lighting and all this stuff. So behind the scenes, I'm actually pretty passionate um, but yeah, I don't know. I do, I do love stand up so much and I wish that I could put more into it. But I think out of all the things that I do, it probably doesn't come first for me. Fair. So I don't put it first, mm-hmm. but I do love performing and I love meeting people like you and creating the shows. I think hosting mm. is where my like real passion for stand up is. Cause I okay. like opening. I like taking the bullet for people. I like giving people opportunities. I like listening to what other people have to say. I like going in and out. So I think there's a, the, the part that wakes me up inside is also like, um, putting the party together making sure everyone's having a good time and then saying good night. That's what I was going to say that. I mean, that very much lines up with what you're talking about with like making the pasta and an experience for your friends. Like you're curating in one situation, tastes and experiences. And in another, you're showing your taste to curate a set of comedians that you've picked. Yeah. And you're like, Hey, I like this to throw me. a party. And this is the party. Yeah. Yeah. I like for other people to come and enjoy themselves. And that's what I get out of stand-up mm-hmm. is I know that all of these people have come to laugh and seeing people laugh and enjoy themselves is a thrill. Mm-hmm. So I I truly do enjoy that. And whenever I get like a bigger opportunity, like Kimmel's Club or the resort or whatever, I always ask if I can host. I'm like, can I host that for you guys? Do you need a host? Do you want to host? That's awesome. I'm here. So yeah, I think that's that's something I really like to do. In terms of that, what has been your favorite stand-up experience? Um, <clears throat> Probably this Horseshoe Bay Resort that okay. I did. So I did 25 minutes on stage. Amazing. That was the longest that I had ever gone. Awesome. It pushed me the hardest because usually I had only done 15 minutes at a time. And I got this notice like a week before. And they were like, we want you to do like 20 to 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, man, I have to, I have to buckle down and do this. And... Um, I wanted to do a really good job, and it was only me and the headliner. I was opening for Michael Ian Black. Oh, yeah. and um, He's great. He's, he was really nice, too. Good. And so I wanted to do a good job, and um, it was the biggest room I'd ever been in front of, and they were treating me really well, and I just wanted to do a good job. I wanted yeah. to really deliver. So... Um, I think that that was my best experience because I got the most out of it. I I, um, did a lot of crowd work. I really pushed myself to write. I also did a lot of topical stuff. It was right before the Super Bowl. It was right around Valentine's Day. This was a golf course thing. Like I and and honestly it was kind of a gift because I had so many things that I could write about Mm -hmm. that it just kind of like really flowed out and I just 10 more minutes of material came out of it. Yeah. And oh, I, but just a minute ago, weren't you saying that you just can't rip up there? Well, it took me a week. Yeah. <laughs> still. I, it couldn't still. have come off my off the top, but I, I did buckle down. Crowd work comes off the top? Crowd work is really fun. Some of my best moments in stand-up are crowd work. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a guy, I was in Canada doing a show at this place called Yuck Yucks. Yeah, Toronto? And, yeah. yeah. No, 
Vancouver. Okay. Um, and I did this joke, and I was talking about a Playboy experience. And I had a joke that I was saying. I said, you know, I didn't always want to be a Playboy model. My dream was to be a Victoria's Secret model. But I'm not 5'7 with an eating disorder. I'm 5'3 with double Ds. So mm. even God was like, oh, you're a little less angel and a little more Pornhub. Mm-hmm. And so um, I said that joke. And this guy in the bag, who I found out later was also a comic on the show, nice. goes, slut! And I don't know what it was, but I turned and I looked at him and it was like, I could just see him so clearly. And I was like, sir, could you please call your wife after the show? And I got like a standing ovation yeah. and it was so fast. And um, Arsenio Hall was there. I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And after the show, he came up to me. Oh, here we go again. Sorry, it's a tiny little animal. Penny, stop it. She doesn't have any teeth. Oh, God. Penny, you're so vicious. Did she squeak when she went over that? Okay, come here. <laughs> stop it. Stop. Stop. Thank you for protecting all of us, all of us, me and all these men. Thank you. Shh. Stop it. Stop it. Penny. Mike, I'm the worst for you. I'm so sorry. No, this is very funny. It's also, even though they can't hear it, it there's going to be like a bunch of just moments of silence of us just staring at Penny <laughs> watching her. It's great for podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. Um, um, I just want to make sure she doesn't try to escape anywhere. So okay? okay, so anyways, Arsenio, sees Arsenio you. came up to me and he shook my hand. Nice. And uh, I didn't, I, I was like kind of mortified by like a mo- by some of the show because I, I never, I, that was my first heckler. Mm-hmm. And um, all I see is this guy that comes up to me and he goes, and he was like, hey, I think that was one of the best comebacks I've ever seen. And he went to shake my hand and his thumb was painted white with the Rolling Stone like symbol on it Mm -hmm. and I was like hey cool nail polish and I like look up and it was Arsenio Hall and I about fainted I was like oh my gosh I'm such a big fan thank you so much and he was like that was really good keep up the great work do more crowd work and stuff and so ever since then I kind of uh have leaned into crowd work a little bit more I always try to do a little bit Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I some of my best, all of my best comebacks. That was like the first time that I did it. But I've had some really, really fun comebacks. It's such a good feeling. Yeah, because you know, I think I always tell people like, if you're gonna heckle at a comedy show, I have horrible anxiety. So every joke I've ever thought of, I've thought of the worst thing you could say after that joke, and I'm just praying they don't say it. Yeah. And then I've thought of what I'd say back, and most people in a comedy audience are not comedy adroit. Right. They're not like the best thing they're going to come up with is like, you're fat or slut. You know, they're not like super creative. Yeah. They're not hitting you with this top level shit. So most of the time when they say that, you're like, Mm -hmm. I had a lady I was talking about. I said like, I got divorced on stage and then a girl was like, Oh, I was like, it's okay. I fucked girls hotter than you. And it just, Immediately, like everyone was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, <laughs> like, but it's just such a fun uh, that moment of being there in the room like that. All of comedy is a lie that like I just thought of this, mm-hmm. and, and it's 
whoa, isn't this clever that I'm thinking of this thing right now and we're all experiencing this? Yeah. But there is uh, a suspension of disbelief required from the audience because they're like, we know you have a routine. We know you have a set, but we are going to allow you to trick us for the sake of entertainment. For sure. But then when you hit those moments like crowd work or something truly spontaneous or you really connect with them, the suspension of disbelief is pulled away and they are truly in a state of shock. Yeah. And they're startled into laughter because they're like, holy f- what? You know, and it, that, I think those are the best pops. In I comedy. do too. When I was at the Kim, at Kimmel's comedy club, I told a joke. Um, I said, uh, my boyfriend shared too much information with me recently. He told me that he would rather be miserable than be bored. And so he likes to trigger me and I'm like, okay, I get it. So I have to keep this man entertained as hard as I can to keep this guy around. Mm -hmm. And so every time I do though, he says things like you've gone too far. You set my business on fire. (laughs) And I'm just like, what do you want me to do, Brad? (laughs) And this goes for all the men out here. Uh, Just know that the next time a girl slashes your tires, she gives a shit. (laughs) And this guy in the back goes like everyone laughed. And this one guy was like, that's not funny. And I was like, did someone just say that's not funny? And he goes, yeah. And I go, I'll find your truck next. Yeah. And he was just like, yeah. but like just random things like that. I think when you, when you do connect with someone mm-hmm. and you talk to someone like straight up and I'm like, don't give me shit. I'll come for you. Yeah. Um, I think that is fun. I think that that's also something that I enjoy doing. Cause when I was younger, I never, ever. Well, that's a good angle for you, especially if you're being self-deprecating. Yeah. Cause you're like, no, 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 but I'm the butt of the jokes. And then someone else is like, that sucks. And you're like, no, but fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. I agree. It is fun. I oh, is that you or is that me? I don't know. I think it was me. Phantom noises. <laughs> my my one friend texts me. <laughs> I put mine on do not disturb. <laughs> That's smart. I'll do uh, the same thing. So I didn't even think about that. Um, you've done some awesome comedy stuff. You've done some awesome sketches. Uh, what's next? Um, uh, I haven't even announced this yet. Uh, I don't even know if I can. How soon are you going to release this episode? Tonight or tomorrow. Okay. I can't tell you what's next. Okay. Um, but big things coming. I have something big coming. Awesome. That I'm really excited about. I'll tell you off the air. Um, I'm going to go on Alex Stein's podcast or his like show or Bravo, whatever it is, um, later this month. And, um, I don't think, I think outside of like the big thing that I have to say, I don't really have too much, but I've been working on this thing for over six months and I'm just waiting to be able to share it, but I'm working with a company and I can't say anything until we both agree that I can announce it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure that'll be very exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm super, super stoked about it. Good. So yeah. Uh, what about you? I don't know. <laughs> my goal for 2023 with comedy is to be able to do my first hour on stage. Oh, what a great uh, goal. Last year I did at the Polo La- or Peacock Lounge in Reno, Nevada. Uh, shout out to Joe and Tony. Um, I did 48 minutes and that's the longest I've ever done. Wow. And I remember at the time, um, 
there was my last joke that I was doing is a pretty dark joke, but it gets really big laughs. Love it. And I remember in the middle of it, a guy laughed really hard, and then right after he laughed, he covered his mouth and started yawning. And I was like, "Oh, these mother, <laughs> these motherfuckers are tired." Uh, mixed signals. But uh, see, look, that's way worse than a phone buzzing. That's loud ass alarm. But um, but it, it was one of those things where it's like, so the show's been going two and a half hours at this point. And like, even though I had more stuff I could have said, I would rather get out on the really big pop. Yeah. Then start to fizzle out and have everybody leave with a sour taste. Right. I was like, I'll just 48. I got 48 in. Let's do it. High five everybody. We're done. But I, I really think this year I can pull off an hour. Well, why don't you start with some strong material and Mm -hmm. then play with stuff in the middle and then end strong. Is that usually what you do? So for longer sets, that's generally my method is I have uh, an opening joke that I really like to do because uh-huh. it's very wholesome and I don't swear. And then that sets people up to be like, oh, that's what this is. And then it changes drastically. Right. And then it changes a third time. Um, so I like to have like that metamorphosis through the set where it goes from very wholesome, no swearing to ending on a crazy joke that you can't believe I'm even saying it. Yeah. Um, and then the middle is where I get to toy around and find new stuff and do crowd work uh, and figure that out. But that's the other thing about it is finding opportunities to do an hour. Yeah. Cause I'm not at a place where I really sell that many tickets. You know, if I have one big show, I can pump it and maybe sell 40, 50 in Austin, but put me in another market. I'm not, you know, blowing up there. I've had like three viral videos ever. So like, uh, Three's a lot. uh, but it's, it's not enough to sell tickets. I see. I see. Like if I show up tomorrow and, or, you know, if I announce, Hey, April 1st, I'm at Bricktown in Oklahoma city, the club is going to sell more tickets than Mike Eaton is going to sell tickets. Yeah. So places like that, they're not as inclined to be like, Hey, come do an hour. Even if it's a Thursday or a Sunday, you know, there are other people that are further along in their career that have already done an hour. That it makes way more sense to give them. So I have to find developing places, smaller bar shows, smaller towns, which is going to lead to uh, not as high quality of an audience, a smaller audience. I disagree. Okay. I think that one of the smartest things that a comic can do is lean into social media. Mm Mm-hmm. I would recommend, I don't know what, I don't know if you like making sketches or anything like that, but something that has really helped me with stand up is finding a social media presence. And if you mm-hmm. look at my TikTok, it's all very PG. I don't have anything like overtly sexual on there. Like I stay within like all of the community guidelines and mm-hmm. I try to make it family friendly where like a 14 year old could watch it or a 64 year old could watch it. And it's like the same across the board. Mm-hmm. Obviously you won't have the same problem that I do. Um, but if well, you, I don't know. I'm a pretty busty bitch. You could. <laughs> <laughs> I did grow these myself too. Um, so we have something in common. Um, if you lean into social media and you grow your following, that's where you're going to sell tickets. Mm-hmm. Not going to like the smaller bar shows. I think that's really good practice. Mm-hmm. I think it's great to get your name out there. Um, I've started making like some fun like merch stuff. Like I made these stickers that have a QR code to my links and stuff so I can hand it out to people that aren't following me on social. But my advice is like 
do s- s- keep doing your I see that you post mm-hmm. your stand-ups on your reels and stuff. Do you find that you grow from that? Uh some of them. So my particular brand of comedy, I do a lot of storytelling. Yeah. And it doesn't translate well to 90 seconds. Well, you're doing so, Oh, I see. So it's like if I tell you I have a joke right now that I I truly I would put this joke against just about any other joke in America. Just in terms of the quality of the joke, because I've worked on it really hard. But it's a joke about um, throat fucking an Alzheimer's patient uh, in her stoma. <laughs> and and it's every time that I get to the end and the big reveal is that I'm going to throat fuck an old lady through her smoke hole and I do the robot voice, it gets an insane pop. Yeah. I mean, I've had people fall out of chairs. I mean, it just it destroys rooms. But to get there, the two and a half minutes leading up to it, I'm really pushing this likability and cleverness to the, to the limit. Right. Cause I'm like, Hey, I one, I have to be very likable so that what I'm going to say in a minute is okay for me to say. And two, when I say something that isn't likable, it has to be so clever that it's undeniably funny. Right. Even if you agree that I'm a bad person for saying it, you cannot help but laugh. And that does not translate to social media. Well, maybe, but, you know, Maybe for social media purposes, maybe write a few jokes that can be like 15 seconds, Mm -hmm. like just set it up and knock it out Um, just for posting wise, because that stuff that stuff goes viral and you'll find that you grow your following. And if you're looking to sell tickets and you want the opportunity to do more time, um, that's really where it's at. And I only tell you that because I want you to succeed and have those those things because I can't do an hour, you know, or 45 minutes. I could I couldn't even do 25 the other day, but I get the opportunities because I can sell the tickets because I have the followings. Mm-hmm. So my, that's the best advice I can give you is and anyone that's trying to do something like that. I, I'm serious. I, you know, if, if there's anything I can give you yeah i would say try to lean into social media a little bit more and see what's working for other people and just copy it make it yours like take something and do it yourself but i i grew a lot by by doing funny social media stuff so yeah highly recommend that well speaking of that where can people find you on social yeah uh i am lauren compton on everything L-A-U-R-E-N. Yeah, Compton, like the city. Yeah. Um, On TikTok, Instagram. Twitter's different. My Twitter got hacked. Oh, boy. So now I'm just, I'm Lauren Compton. I am Lauren Compton. Nice. Kind of stupid. But anyways, yeah, you can find me anywhere at I am Lauren Compton, pretty much. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming and getting social with me. This was a blast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's go take care of the vicious attack dog. Ready? Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week. This has been Highly Social with Mike Eaton.